It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Sunday night edition, two hours of Sports Talk ahead of you. We have lots to talk about in the NFL. Huge scoring games, lots of separation games. We're going to get into it all. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris Wynn is joining me tonight, and Tim Unglesby will be the third man in the booth in a little while when he can jump on. We have got a lot to deal with today. I got to hear from you guys, 876-1340, 876-1340. Hit me up over on Twitter. It's at TomBartonSports. At Christian Wynn as well, and at HW Sports, Heat Wave Sports over on Twitter. We'll get you a part of the show. Guys, we're almost done with this week in the NFL, and it feels like the NFL season is flying by. But I think we're left with more questions than answers today. I think we look at some of these teams and we go, I'm not sure what we have in some of these teams. What we did have today was a lot of scoring, a lot of overs today. If you were an over player, a lot of overs. We had a lot of questions still remaining out there, but big-time fantasy production from all the scoring that went on today as well. Bad weather games didn't matter, it seemed. Didn't really stop anyone from going on scoring tirades. Teams on that were losing. Tom Brady lost the game. He still threw three, for 385 and three touchdowns and scored 31 points. You look at what is going on in the NFL, and we had a first couple of weeks where kind of the feeling-out period, a lot of upsets. Last week, well, you know what? It kind of evened out. And now here we are. Look, there's four games in. These guys, look, they only play 17 games. We're a quarter through the season. And I think that in the NFL right now, we have more questions than answers. There's nobody outside of the Philadelphia Eagles that are really pulling away from the pack. Right now, you look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They're the only undefeated team in the entire NFL. There's nobody that is 0-4. The only team without a win is the Houston Texans, which is not all that surprising. Everybody else is jumbled up in that 3-1, and 2-2, 1-3 range. So we have learned a lot after the first four weeks, but maybe we haven't learned anything. And I'm going to get into that with Chris Wynn tonight. Chris, how you doing, man? How was your Sunday? It was great, Tommy. Good to join you here on Heatway Sports. Here as we are, you know, rolling through week four of the NFL schedule. And uh, look, it started out, right, Tommy, with a Nice matchup between two quality AFC teams on Thursday night in Cincinnati. And then it was capped off with another matchup of uh, quality clubs in Tampa Bay. Uh, Ironically, the site, of course, uh, of Hurricane Ian, right, and everything that transpired there in the past few days. But uh, a matchup between uh, two, uh, you know, Super Bowl hopefuls in Kansas City and Tampa Bay and a whole lot in between. Right, Tommy? You talked about it. Points of plenty so far this week in the NFL. Not a whole Mr. Barton, not a whole lot of 17 to 3 tilts. Not a whole lot of 20 to 6 matchups in these games of the NFL today and uh and probably tomorrow night with a matchup uh between, you know, NFC West teams in San Francisco and Los Angeles as uh, we saw a lot of 50 point, 60 point and a couple of 70 and even higher games that uh, went on today 
in the NFL. So uh, defenses uh, were kind of up against it today, Tobby. And uh, we're going to talk about a number of those games throughout the next couple of hours. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. For me personally, I was having a great, great day. And then all of a sudden, the Jets go out there and ruin that. I finished the day at 2-2, two and two, uh, but I did hit my my prop plays. So I was telling you about one of my prop plays I hit with Brady late. Um, but I gave I gave it out on the air last night. I gave Justin Herbert over one-and-a-half touchdown passes. I thought that, that was a gift. You're only laying minus 125. I woke up this morning. It was still only minus 135, which was a laughable joke. Uh, hit that one. Uh, I, I thought he was going to hit it before the half, but it doesn't matter. Cashes, it cashes. The prop play market... I, I've noticed has been a little a little weak lately. So you could take a little bit of advantage of that. I wound up keeping my head above water in the contest now. Well, we're we're doing okay. I mean, we're we're at the end of the day, look, we're we're doing fine. We're right in this hunt. So in the Westgate contest, myself and Tim, you guys can go check that out. It's listed on Tom Barton Sports. Uh we are uh, right now we're we're what twelve and twelve and eight. Um, so hey, head above water. We're in that we're in this shape. But I think this was a wild weekend. Again, every weekend's a wild weekend, but it was a wild weekend because, like I said, the question still remains. So let's go to one of the games that did score over 70 points, and that was the Sunday night game. Chiefs beat the Buccaneers, and they beat them all up and down the field. Weirdly, the one thing that I was assured of was that. The Tampa Bay Bucks defense was going to play well. I didn't know how Brady was going to react with all these new moving pieces coming back. I didn't think that the Tampa Bay Bucks were going to be able to run the ball, and they didn't. Uh, uh, Leonard Fournette had negative three yards rushing on the day. Brady went crazy. Brady looked like the Brady of old. Um, 385, three touchdowns. He threw it 52 times. Mike Evans with two touchdowns. The offense, you can't say anything bad about. It's the defense or... It's just Mahomes. Mahomes looked absolutely fantastic in the first half. He put up 28 points before the half, fully in control of this game. They were able to run the ball. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 90 uh, carries for 92 yards. What I watched in this game was a Tampa Bay defense that, yeah, they can stop the run. And we know that that these guys, with David and White in the middle, they're always going to be able to stop the run. And they've been able to stop the run all year long. You just cannot do anything. But if a team like the Chiefs, takes them on and just says, we are going to pass all day long. Who cares about the run? They are susceptible in the back end. It's not a Buccaneers defense that has been this good uh, for this long that we're used to seeing be abused like this. And that's what they were. They were abused tonight. The Chiefs only won by 10. Chris, it felt like they won by about 30. And you know what's interesting, Tommy, about this this offense for Kansas City? You talked about the running game, right? And their propensity really to go through the air. Yeah, they used Edwards Alaire and they used Isaiah Pacheco in a lot of different ways, but a lot of it was through the air. I mean, a lot of the running backs, it was, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield, a lot of screens, a lot of those type of plays, which you would expect, I guess, right? When this is a Kansas City offense that is the, uh, it's the epitome, right? When it comes to improvisation, right? And ad living, uh, that's when Pat Mahomes is at his best, right? We understand that he can go out there and have those big time monster number games. But it's when he's, you know, got these trick plays going with, you know, tight end Noah Gray walking in front of him and taking the snap from under center and scoring a touchdown. It's when he's, you know, having jump passes to uh, Ezra Lair for that touchdown in the first half that was uh, that had everybody clamoring. It's when those things are going down for Kansas City on top of what they are able to do explosively offensively. That's a really a benefit. And it kind of shows you uh, just how good this team can be. So 
there's no question that let's be straight up and honest about it, right, Tommy? Pat Mahomes had pretty much all the answers for for solving Tampa Bay's stingy defense most of the night. This was a Tampa Bay team, Tommy, that was that was coming from behind most of the evening. You talked about the efficiency. Yeah, Tom Brady was was pretty solid. You know, throws for almost 400 yards passing and uh, didn't throw a pick in this game. But there was just a lot of chances for the Buccaneers to keep fighting from behind, right? It just seemed like they were always on their heels and they had to find a way to come back. And they're just, they just flat out ran out of time. And it wasn't to be for the Buccaneers in this one tonight. Yeah, you know, I, I think you could walk away from this game very happy for both teams, though. And I know you go, wait a minute, the Bucs got blown out. Uh, Bucks were, were embarrassed. Their defense looked good, uh, looked bad. But I look at Brady and I go, you know, I think there were some questions here. Every year there seems to be questions. I think there were some questions. You know what? Weak offensive line, no talent around him. But could he have those huge games where he had to go toe-to-toe? I think we saw tonight, yeah, you absolutely can. I like that Mike Evans came back with authority. I like that that you are starting to see that the Bucks, well, they're starting to gel a little bit on the offensive side of it. And if I'm worried about anything, look, it's certainly not the defense. I think the defense will find things. Obviously, the Chiefs have to feel really good at 3-1. and one. I think it's going to show everything that we talked about, Chris. When we sat there and we were sitting live from the Strip just a couple of weeks ago um, for opening day, and I said, Guys, everybody I talked to in the league laughed at the notion that Tyreek Hill really meant this much to this team. Andy Reid has devised a plan that he doesn't care about Tyreek Hill. It doesn't matter. They're doing, like you said, screen passes. They used all three tight ends tonight. Uh, Juju is going to be a guy. They will use different options. And when Mahomes is playing like this, they seem unstoppable. You look at what the Chiefs are and who the Chiefs are, and you go, you know, I see a lot of similarities to when they are the fantastic Chiefs that they have been in the past. And I don't know if that's going away, which is bad news for the two teams that played earlier tonight, and that is, or earlier today, Raiders and Broncos. The Raiders avoid the 0-4 start, which was a death knell to their season. And you know what, Chris? Maybe the season's over anyway, but at least they got the win. They got that W. They did it at home, and they beat the rival Broncos, who they absolutely just seemed to own. Once again, the Denver Broncos, and I don't want to take anything away from the Raiders, but once again, the Denver Broncos were their own worst enemy. The Broncos offensively couldn't get out of their way. Russell Wilson, coming into this game, the Raiders allowed three straight teams to throw for 260 yards or more. Russell Wilson threw for only 237. He only threw the ball 25 times. Josh Jacobs for the Raiders had a huge game. This is the game that you have been talking to me for three years and telling me this is the Josh Jacobs, where I've been telling you he's a fraud. Well, 28 for 144 and two touchdowns. He looked good tonight. Devontae Adams is always going to get his volume. He got over 100 yards again because they just pepper him with balls. I look at this team and I and I, I go, okay, it's a good win by the Raiders. Yes, tip your hat to them. I can't believe they found the running game because they came in ranked 32nd in rushing yards per game and rushing attempts per game. They didn't even care to try to run the ball. So I give them credit for trying to do that. I give Josh McDaniels credit for seeing the problems and saying we've got to correct these problems and try to run the ball. But I think a lot of their win tonight was deficiencies of the Broncos, a Broncos team that somehow or another is miraculously 2-2, two and two. a Broncos team that very well could be 0-4 in the season, a Broncos team that just has looked completely out of sorts, and all of a sudden, everyone's looking back up at the Chiefs as usual, and the Raiders got themselves kind of back into this thing. The Broncos look like they're worlds behind the Chiefs. Give me your take on the Raiders-Broncos. No question that uh, it's an understatement, right, to say that the Las Vegas Raiders had their backs against the wall from a season standpoint going into this matchup 
against their division rival. And look, here's the thing to me that uh, really jumped out at me. This is an offer. It was a chance really for the Raiders. You thought they might blow, right? Another fourth quarter lead. And then they smartened up, Tommy. They actually put the ball in the hands of Josh Jacobs and the running game to finish off the Denver Broncos in the fourth quarter. It was an emphatic game ceiling drive that uh, gave McDaniels his first win as a head coach since being fired by these, these very same Denver Broncos, by the way, back in 2010. And uh, and it kind of backed up the message that he talked about his players all week. You know, he's, he said it to both both sides of the football. He said, you know, you, you don't want to burden uh, the burden to finish the game, not hoping that someone else does their thing or that they fix the problem, is, is what Derek Carr said after the game. So what other game is asked for? You know, it's our turn to do our job. Offensively, they were solid on the ground. Josh Jacobs, as you mentioned, big-time game, a couple of touchdowns, 144 yards. But a monster play, Tommy, and I think you'll agree, was Robertson when he hit, you know, he returns the uh, fumble, 68 yards for that touchdown. Uh, that, that was absolutely a turning point, and it was an opportunity for the Raiders to, uh, to, to, to get a little notch under their belt there and to get a little confidence in a, in a game where, you know, it was, it was still kind of teetering there at that point because the Broncos were able to kind of stay in the game and it was kind of back and forth. And by no means had the Raiders established themselves as just dominating the game in any way, shape, or form. And so, uh, you know, it was uh, one of those things. Look, this is a season – <laughs> under Joshua Daniels, they've lost three straight one-score games, including that 20-point lead that was blown to the Cardinals back in week two. And so I look at it this way, Tommy. I think they managed to do enough on the ground. You got a solid you know, ground, uh, approach from them. You got, uh, you know, Derek Carr didn't have a monstrous game from a stat standpoint, but he didn't throw turnovers that cost him the game. And they were kind of able to hold off Russell Wilson. Look, Russell Wilson had an efficient game. But wasn't exactly, you know, he wasn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, lighting up the scoreboard himself either with, you know, just under 240 and, and a couple of touchdowns. And uh, he also had a, a rushing touchdown as well, too. The problem for the Broncos, Tommy, was they just scored one time in their six drives in the second half. You're not going to be able to win football games, especially in your division, when you go on the road and you're just not able to, to, uh, to garner points there in the second half. That, to me, was a big key. It, you know, the Raiders were able to get three sacks in the game. Max Crosby had a couple of them. But, uh, you know, a couple a couple key plays offensively. You got a good running attack, obviously spearheaded by the likes of uh, Josh Jacobs, and you were able to get uh, some key defensive plays as well, led to the Raiders getting a victory that they so sorely needed. But, Tommy, it doesn't get any easier, my friend. It doesn't get any easier because then what happens? Oh, yeah, by the way. Next week, you get a trip up to Arrowhead in Kansas City to take out the Chiefs, who are able to go on the road and win in Tampa Bay. So it's uh, it, it it may be it may be short lived as far as any type of celebration or or jubilation here in Vegas, my friend, for the Raiders picking up their first win on the season. Yeah, and this is a Chiefs team that has absolutely not only owned the series in winning eight of the last 10, but humiliated the Raiders in most of their appearances, especially in Arrowhead. Uh, you look at this game, six and a half is the opening number. Chris, I, I have no idea why it's six and a half. I mean, this should be nine. This should be 10. Other than the fact that people kind of just like the Raiders. What have we seen in the Raiders to even be competitive in this game? Nothing. They're not going to be able to slow down Patrick Mahomes. My initial instinct is grab the six and a half everywhere you can, because by the morning, this might be, eight or nine. I mean, this is going to go up. 
This is going to cross that seven for sure. I, I can't imagine that this is going to stay where it is, Chris. This is this has just got blowout written all over it once again. Well, Tommy, you talk about your initial your initial instinct. My initial thought after hearing that line is, okay, it's that low because it's an AFC West game. That's the only reason. That's the only reason I can think about this. I mean, you can go on. You can go down other avenues if you want. You can say, okay, well. You know, they just came off a nice big win against, a, you know, a decent, a, a quality NFC team on the road. So maybe they come back and there's a little bit of a letdown on Kansas City's part, right? You can kind of you can, you can kind of pick your brain and kind of think about other, you know, quote unquote reasons why the line's only six and a half. But I'm absolutely in your camp. I think this line should be absolutely higher. And let's be straight about it, too. It could absolutely go up given, you know, the activity throughout the rest of this week leading up to that football game. Yeah, I, I think it will. I think you're going to see a lot of money coming in on them for sure. Um, it, you know, just uh, with a, a quick look at, uh, you know, the the just the odds and the numbers and what we're looking at. I mean, come on, uh, you know, come on. Uh, this is this is a game where they have just owned the series. All right, what about the overtime game between the Packers and Patriots? The Patriots starting Brian Hoyer. Well, that didn't matter because Brian Hoyer was knocked out of the game, and it was. Mr. Billy Zappi in there. They were down to their third-string quarterback, um, and and they gave the Green Bay everything they could handle. Now, look, I was one of these guys that I took the New England Patriots in the picks, but I, I didn't think they were going to give it this competitive a game. I just like a game where I could get nine and a half or ten points. The Patriots jumped out, start, out, out in front. The Patriots looked good in this game, or here we go again. Was this just a case that the Packers don't look that good. I've been saying it all along. Look, Aaron Rodgers doesn't look good out there right now. And I get that they're going with a running first philosophy and Aaron Jones had 110 yards on the ground and just 16 carries. I get it. And you want to get Dylan and it's a new Green Bay team. I understand all that. But Rodgers hasn't looked good. The offense has not clicked right now. The Patriots, they are playing ugly, but they're playing close, ugly games. They had a very good chance to win this game. And you're going now, you know, they were dealing with a third-string quarterback. Now, I think Mac Jones is back for next week, but you can't feel good at 3-1 and one if you're the Packers. They are the most fraudulent 3-1 and one team, but doesn't it seem like that every year they get 13 wins and you go, yeah, I don't know how they got 13 wins. Meanwhile, the Patriots, they're 1-3, but they're playing competitive. I mean, are we in a generation now where we're saying, hey, you know what? I guess Belichick played competitive and we're looking at it as a good thing. Yeah, we are. That's where we're at. The Patriots played well. The Packers just played poorly. I think that this was a combination of both. Isn't this the classic place, Tommy, though, of it's not necessarily how you start, it's how you finish? I mean, this couldn't be more evident than this football game right here for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers was just absolutely atrocious in the first half. You're talking about 4 of 11 for 44 yards. His passer rating was 11.2 in the first half, Tommy Barton. you got to be kidding me. And that included, by the way, Jack Jones's, uh, you know, 40-yard interception return that got the Patriots, to, you know, to, to that 10-7 lead at halftime. And so you talked about the circumstances regarding the Patriots, obviously. You know, I was Tommy, I got to admit, I was having flashbacks to, uh, you know, uh, back to the, to the mid-90s, back when the first time that Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and they were, they were bringing in, you know, uh, the likes of, uh, oh, my God, he's, his name's escaping me now, the guy who was the radio guy for the Patriots, who was the, uh, he was like the third-string quarterback in the backup. Matt uh, Schaub? <laughs> uh, no, it, what was his name? Oh, it's killing me. But, uh, oh, Scott Zolak. I was having oh, visions oh. of Scott Zolak, Tommy, and uh, the New England Patriots when I saw, you know, uh, 
uh, Zappi end up going in the game. Look, I mean, he's, look, he was a fourth round pick back, you know, uh, this year from Western Kentucky. Uh, ends up playing the majority of the game. Didn't look too bad, to be quite honest with you, in his uh, unexpected NFL debut. But uh, this was absolutely a tale of two halves for the Green Bay Packers. And, of course, for Aaron Rodgers, he throws two second-half touchdown passes. And, uh, and, and, and to be honest, and, and, yeah, the Patriots, I mean, despite the fact of, you know, the adversity that they, fa- they faced in this football game, they still were able to manage to overtime, right? Able to get it to overtime somehow, some way. And, uh, of course, Mason Crosby gets the uh, 31-yard field goal as time expires, lifting Green Bay to the victory. This is not going to be one of those deals, right, Tommy, where the Green Bay Packers are going to be – should be patting themselves on the back and, uh, you know, be waxing poetic about their performance in this game. They were able to beat a team that they were absolutely better than and that they should have beat. And uh, it speaks more, I think, to uh, the issues that the Packers may have than necessarily what we already know that the New England Patriots have, which is it's a team that is rebuilding. There's just no question about it. That's where the New England Patriots are right now. And uh, the Patriots, you know, they lose to Green Bay this week. Now they get a chance to uh, go up against my Detroit Lions next week, and we'll see if uh, if they can have any kind of rebound whatsoever. As uh, I'm sure Detroit, even after you know after the loss that they faced today, is going to be looking to uh, grab a W some any way, anyhow that they can. Also, yeah, you know the Green Bay Packers year after year are just such a hard team for me to bet on. It's such a hard team for me to grasp on. I know that they're going to win 10, 12, 13 games, right? I know that, but there are going to be times where they're just. You know, they're, they're not their sharpest. This year feels different. It, it feels like they are out of sorts. It feels like this is the first year where, yeah, you know what? Aaron Rodgers doesn't look good, and he could turn it around, sure. But it feels like they're going through a different kind of philosophy, a different philosophy than what Rodgers likes. He's not comfortable. And I think we see that he's not comfortable here. Um I know it's Belichick who could devise any kind of plan uh, to kind of get you annoyed out there, uh, of course. And I get that the Green Bay Packers are still trying to work through some different things. All of that is true. But it just seems to me that Aaron Rodgers is lost out there in a new offense where they're saying, this is run first, just secure the ball, let us win the game with the running game, let us win the game with defense. And I don't know if he's going to adapt to this or if it just comes to a point where he just goes, you know what, I'm just going to take games over by myself. Well, Tommy, if you want to look at a little bit from a glass half full perspective, if you're Green Bay, you do like the running game, right? You do like Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon back there combining for, what, 185 on the ground, despite the fact they weren't able to hit pay dirt, as uh, Watson was the one that got uh, the, the touchdown there. But uh, there are absolute issues receiving, right? I mean, if you watch the broadcast, right, Tommy? I mean, they, they were they were just describing it, talking about it. It's like it's like Packer fans and the organization are all like sticking their hands to the heavens, saying, "Please, Alan Lazard and Dubs and you know, and can Randall Cobb regain what he had back in 2014?" You know, and uh, just just trying to just hope, hope beyond all hope that the uh, that the receiving core can kind of find its way quicker sooner than later right and so that so those are the kind of the issues that the, the green bay packers are facing and we'll see you know look i mean it's a packer t- look they won the game so the packers right now sitting i mean when you're talking about the nfc playoff picture the three and one and in the division I mean, they're right there with the green with the minnesota vikings so i don't know if it's it's time necessarily to to you know to stick a fork in them but there is no question that there are issues that the packers got to work out 
if they're going to be a serious threat to make it to the Super Bowl this year. Uh, let's take one last game before we go to break. Cardinals, Panthers. Last night, me and Tim talked about it. I said, my initial reaction, the first thing that I, I, I think about was the Cardinals are going to win this game. You know, they're more talented, but Kyler Murray just wasn't that guy here recently. Kyler Murray wasn't hasn't been performing like that guy. He had three yards, uh, you know, basically rushing only three times, three attempts or about 22 yards per game. He wasn't passing the ball downfield. Less than 10% of his passes were going for more than 20 yards downfield. But I didn't trust this Panthers offense, a Panthers offense that was the worst in the NFL, meaning they had not had 300-yard game the entire time. But I did trust the Panthers defense. Now, Tim liked the Panthers. I was torn on this game because of exactly that. Hey, the game played out exactly the way that we thought, right? The Panthers defense came up. They were pretty good. Kyler Murray certainly didn't look like himself. Only 207 yards passing. He's having a problem out there. Nobody lit the board on fire. But the Panthers could not get it done offensively, which leads me to the question here. If the Panthers are playing really well defensively, and they've lost three games here by 15 total points, okay? If the Panthers are playing well defensively, which they are, with Burns and Chin and everybody else, when do you pull the plug on Baker Mayfield? Because, look, I thought that he was going to be the spark. I thought he was going to be the guy. I thought Mayfield was going to be exactly what this team needs. And I don't want to put all the blame on him, but when do you pull the plug on him? You can't go out here and win games in the NFL scoring 16 points in a game at home against a bad Cardinals defense. So I'm throwing this out at you. Look, is Mayfield the problem? And if he is the problem, what do you do about it? Oh, there's no question that he is part of the problem. But to answer your question, I think there's still probably three to four weeks away before they make a serious decision regarding Baker Mayfield. Now, make no question about it, right? Arizona's defense frustrated Baker all day long, forced him into three turnovers in this one. He had five you know, passes batted at the line of scrimmage and was essentially off the mark on a bunch of other throws. So, look, he's had you know an NFL high 11 passes batted down throughout the season. So, and, and by the way, when the, that, that the fourth deflection ended, ended that, that fourth quarter drive and uh, you know, Mayfield was uh, you know, visibly frustrated as uh, the booze started to rain down there from bank of America stadium and their crowd. But uh, as far as Arizona winning this football game, this was, you, you talked about it uh, earlier uh, in your uh, summary of this game, Tommy, as far as this is what we expect right from, from Arizona. Yeah, you know what we expect? We expect them to start out slow, right? This is a Cardinals team that's been outscored by 50 points in the first half this season. It's like, it's like uh, you know, it's like death and taxes and Arizona starting games slowly, right? I mean, that's just how they do it. And then, of course, uh, you know, Kyler Murray ends up uh, kicking it in gear there in the second half and ends up with a couple hundred yards passing like you talked about. And a couple of touchdowns and then adds another touchdown on the ground and they win the football game. You like uh, what you saw in that, that, that touchdown pass to Marquise Brown. You like Zach Ertz getting into the mix there. And, uh, you know, and the Cardinals haven't – and Arizona, you love this too. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're the coaching staff of the Cardinals, they have a 17-minute advantage, right, in time of possession. And, uh, and you, you end up knocking off the Panthers. First time they beat them, by the way, the last seven times these two teams have played. So – it was uh, impressive, to say the least, to, to see that Arizona was able to get the win. But uh, the Carolina Panthers, when it comes to Baker Mayfield and that decision, Tommy, look, I get it. They're one and three in a division that nobody really picked them to win. But I don't think they're going to bail yet on Baker. I don't think it's going to be like either a next week or, you know, the week after decision by Carolina. I still think they're going to hold out and probably be a month or so before they actually do pull the plug and say, okay, 
uh, and if obviously if they continue down this road before they they end up pulling the former uh, 2018 number one overall pick. Well, let me give you some pushback on that here, Chris, mm-hmm. only because isn't Matt Rule's job on the line? You know, I mean, look, let's let's be honest. If the Panthers had um, playoff expectations this year, if not a little optimistic, and look, if they won eight games, I think maybe he would have been safe. If he doesn't, if he goes out here and he wins six, five, six, seven games, he's gone, right? So right. if you know that and it's crisis mode, don't you pull the plug on Baker to save your own job? Because next week the Panthers – They'll be home underdogs again. The Niners come in five point underdogs. The line is is pretty steady there. The total is thirty nine. They expect the same kind of thing. After that, you go to the Rams. That that could be a decisive underdog there. And then against the Bucks, they'll be underdogs there. Now you do have the Falcons sandwiched between the Bengals, Ravens, and Broncos. I, I I think you have to look. Maybe you give them the Rams and the Bucks, but I think. Look, if they lose next week to the Niners, I'm pretty sure Matt Rule's gone. I don't think they'll fire him after the game, but I think that that seals his fate. You can't turn around to me and tell me that Matt Rule's going to stay in this this you know, position, winning five or six games. And if they don't win against the Niners, they're not winning against the Rams or or the Bucks in that spot. So now all of a sudden you're in a bad position. You're going to be one in five or or uh, you know one in six even. I just think that in a position that he's in, my back's against the wall. I know I'm going to get fired. Why not try something different? Baker Mayfield has four touchdown passes in four games. I can see where heads at regarding that. Look, I'm not going to be shocked if 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 Matt Rule decides to pull the trigger sooner. I'm just you know kind of looking at maybe maybe from more of a conservative standpoint in that you know you're talking about uh, Sam Donald, look who's eligible to come off IR right this week after missing the first four games with an ankle injury. Uh, it, I mean, is, is that going to be something you, you just laid out? You just laid out the gauntlet that they face. I mean, it's almost uh, – I, I mean, I hate to be Debbie Downer all. I don't really care because I, I don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to Carolina Panthers. But the way you described it, it looks pretty grim regardless of who is you know, under center for the Carolina Panthers moving forward. So, I, I mean, I just – I guess I just don't know – how much it would affect Matt Rule's fate, you know, if they if they have all these matchups against teams that they're probably not going to beat anyway. It could be just tough sledding, regardless for Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers. So, but I can I can understand if if he ends up uh, if he's still the head coach and he decides to go in a different direction when it comes to who's going to be uh, the signal caller for this Carolina Panther team. I know that the Monday night game has not played here yet, Chris. But what's your initial thoughts next week? Look, Panthers have been playing close games, tight games. They're getting five points at home, backs against the wall, really desperate situation. Niners going to have to travel across the country after a tough Monday night game, a tough Monday night game um, against a rival with the Rams. Everyone's going to be betting the Niners. I'm kind of liking the Panthers plus the points in a basically die-and-save-your-coach kind of situation. You, you said you like the Panthers plus the points coming up in that game? Yeah, I kind of like them. Give me the five, five and a half. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting question because, I mean, look, it's going to be curious to me as far as the Niners' mindset, right? It's, and obviously we haven't seen the game played. Tomorrow. I mean, it's a big game tomorrow. You're talking about a division game between, a, you know, with, with a, a team against the defending Super Bowl champs, and it's going to kind of set the tone, right, when it comes to the NFC West. So that, that to me is going to be extremely important regarding – whether or not I would, uh, you know, take a look at at the Niners, as you pointed out, 
traveling on, you know, going completely cross country, you know, in a, I mean, it's technically a short week, but it's a Sunday, you know, Monday to Sunday, whatever. But I, I would be probably leaning towards you. I would probably take a look hard at the Carolina Panthers in this, in the matchup against San Francisco coming up next week. It's one of those plug your nose. I don't want to do it, but I kind of have to do it kind of games. All right, exactly. let's take a quick time out here, Chris. When we get back, we'll continue on the slate of games, reviewing what happened today, going into what is going to happen next week. We'll give you our thoughts and everything. Guys, it, we are Heat Wave Sports. We'll be back right after this. Do you know who that was? The basketball player. He was LeBron James. He's kind of like the basketball player. Oh, yeah. I think I saw one of his soda commercials. Do you follow sports? Oh, my God. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The uh, I like smaller teams, like the not the big leagues. I like the like um, Long Island Mediums, the the Acorn Pine Cones. I haven't heard the of Fire Island Penguins. I like the Cincinnati Thunder Wizards. You can stop. The Orlando Blooms. You can stop. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. All right, guys, welcome back. Anyways, for Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. With Chris Wynn here today. We're sitting in tonight going over everything in the world of the NFL. I and mean, I'm telling you, it has been a great week in the NFL. Lots of scoring. We talked about 70-point games. Absolutely, we had those. Chris, we got to talk about one game. Didn't quite reach 70, but I think in the first half, if I would have told you what this final score would have been, you would have been asking me what happened. Chargers-Texans. Chargers were up 27 to nothing and 27 to 7 going into the half even. And then the Texans kind of came storming back. It looked like for a while there, the Texans were actually going to really make this a competitive game. I know the Chargers won. They did cover. They won by 10. But the, the Chargers, look, their offense looked good. Herbert looked like he's back to being healthy. Austin Eckler, for those that don't that have him in fantasy, and I have him in my fantasy league, uh, absolutely had his breakout game. Damian Pierce, 72-yard touchdown. He had a good game. This is a good game all around to watch, a fun game. But I do have to question the loss of Joey Bosa here. I know Guyton also, but Joey Bosa is going to be out for 8 to 10 weeks. He's their guy on defense. And while you look at Khalil Mack and he's having a good year rushing the passer, he had another sack today. The Chargers did let up 24 points to the Texans. The Chargers let up 24 points to the Texans in a come-from-behind mode where, where they kind of knew what they were going to do, right? They kind of knew that. They let up big plays by Pierce, big plays by Davis Mills. Uh, it was a situation here where the Chargers get out with a win, nice, easy, deserved win. You go, yeah, absolutely. And in the same breath, you want to say, I don't love what I saw from their defense. Always big when you get your star players kind of getting off the schneid, right, Tommy? And that was the case obviously with Los Angeles Chargers, Austin Eckler, who is off to a super slow start following a, what, a 20-touchdown season a year ago where he was electrifying. And the, char- look, the Chargers are looking for him to break out, and that's exactly what happened, you know, scoring the, you know, his first three touchdowns of the season and essentially leading the Chargers that win over Houston today. And Brandon Staley, the head coach, talked about it afterwards how important it was to get Austin Eckler going. Look, he's one of the captains of that team. He is He's the guy that – uh, you know, a lot of guys uh, feed off of when it comes, particularly the offensive side of the football, and the kind of energy that he plays is also big time. Also, got to give a shout out to our own Tommy Barton, right? Because from a prop standpoint, uh, you had a solid call on this tilt regarding uh, Justin Herbert there at uh, the quarterback position. He did throw for three four, but he also threw for a couple of scores that were able to leave, uh, give the Chargers 
a chance to build that big early lead. And then as you alluded to, the Texans kind of made it interesting by scoring 17 straight points basically to get within three with what, eight, just a little over eight minutes left in that game. And then uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, they put together that 12-play, 84-yard drive where you had that uh, Eckler, you know, 14-yard reception that kind of put things away and snapped the two-game losing streak. So, uh, look, it's a Charger team. I think that's going to be – I've been saying it all along, all season long. I think we're talking about the two top teams in the AFC West. They are the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers were able to kind of go on the road against a team that faces a whole heck of a lot of challenges and adversity in the 0-3-1 Houston Texans and were able to kind of get a victory by 10 there. I think it's uh, it's good for the Chargers because it's a team that still is banged up, to be quite honest with you. And uh, they look great early and were able to finish off, you know, and score on five of the first six possessions, build that 27-7 to halftime lead, and just kind of hang on and uh, do that without uh, the likes of Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen, Tommy. You know, you, you just said that you think that the Chargers are the second-best team. Um, Tim had them going to the Super Bowl. And one of the reasons that I always hold back from the Chargers is because they're the Chargers, and they are just a snake-bait organization. A couple of years yeah. ago, I, I went on a rant, and I said, man, the Chargers are the most talented team in the league. Literally, the next day after I said that, Derwin James went down for the season, and that was the season where things just went wrong uh, You know, late in the year. It seems that happens every year to the Chargers. So when you when you go out there and you know guys like Tim are saying, okay, I think they're going to the Super Bowl, and it's not just Tim, there are other people, and you're saying you know, how good this Chargers team is, doesn't it worry you that they're already without Rashawn Slater, already Joey Bosa eight to ten weeks, uh, Jalen Guyton is out for the year, doesn't it have to worry you just because it's the Chargers and you know the kind of just snake-bitten organization that this is? Oh, there's no doubt about it, right? Because, Tommy, we can, we, can, we can already see in our crystal ball, you know, if, if, if something bad happens, right? What happens if Nasir Adler gets hurt on the defensive side, right? What happens if, you know, a Mike Williams goes down, for, for, for God's sake, right? Or a Gerald Everett, for example, right? Or, or then, then obviously, you know, and, or Austin Eckler gets hurt again. You know, so there, yes, there is a, there is a kind of a hesitant feeling that we all get, and not even just Charger fans, just just football fans, when you talk about this team, because you don't, you just don't know what's going to happen and what exactly uh, is on the horizon when it comes to the injury front and the the guys that have the the lightning bolt on their helmet. Best game of the day, Bills Ravens. Wound up being a really close, really good game that I walked away from feeling almost dirty because it was just, it was a poorly played dirty, game. Dirty, dirty, right, Tommy? <laughs> ah, it, it was poorly played. It was poorly coached. It was a weird game. I was texting back and forth with Tim just going, what is going on? I would just send him just question marks. Say, oh, like, what? why didn't you have to explain what I was questioning? The Bills walk away with a win, 23-20. Um, it was an uh, it was an ugly, weird game, though. The Ravens had the ball. Uh, you know, they had an opportunity in a tie game to take the lead w- with just minutes to go in the game. They decided to to go for it on fourth and one. And it wasn't like they ran Lamar Jackson, which they're used to doing, or get him out in space. No, they tried to pass the ball. That was a weird, strange decision. Then at the end of the game, you knew the Bills were just uh, you know just 
going to run the clock. If they got to the one-yard line, they actually got a fresh set of downs. Half of the Ravens decided we're going to tackle Singletary and not let him score. There's another half of the Ravens that are tell, telling them, get away and let the guy score. And then they could have had a chance to come down, down the field and tie the game. It was a weird situation. The team, the Ravens were just such in odds with each other. They didn't have a cohesive unit. They didn't have the coaching. Weird decisions by Harbaugh. The defense didn't know what they were doing. I mean, this was this was just two of the best teams, two teams that I had going to the AFC Championship game that I'm going, man, neither one of them looked good today at all. Our fellow Heatwave sports host, Tim Uggles, we had to be pulling his hair out, Tommy Barton. He had to be just absolutely going bananas regarding Harbaugh's decision in the fourth quarter not to kick the field goal. But I digress. You talked about this as far as an ugly win. Right, look, this is a, you know, Josh Allen and a Buffalo's build team that you expect, right? They play in Buffalo, right? So we can, you know, it's a team that's going to be able to deal with nasty weather. That's kind of part of the job when you play in Buffalo and you're the Bills. And you had this rainy afternoon in Baltimore, and what happens? Well, the Bills just happen to pull off their biggest comeback in over a decade. And who do they do it against? Oh, they do it against the Baltimore Ravens, a team that, by the way, the last two weeks has blown sizable leads and coughed up Ws. In a matchup, obviously, last week against Miami, kind of the same situation here with Buffalo. The Bills end up kind of coming back. Josh Allen and, and does what Josh Allen does. He's able to matriculate themselves down the field, you know, and Buffalo's defense forced that huge, you know, fourth down turnover. And then, you know, and then Josh drives him right down the field, and Bass makes that 21-yard field goal as time expires to get the win. You know, it, it, Buffalo, they're down 20-3 to three late in the second quarter. And, I mean, you looked at that from, from that standpoint, you're like, oh, man, maybe this just isn't the Bills' day. And it was the largest comeback win for Buffalo since they 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 uh, blew away a 21-point deficit to beat the Patriots back in 2011. That's like over 10 years ago, Tommy. So, look, Lamar Jackson, I, you know, I, I'm still – I still I – don't, I don't get it. As much as I've talked about Josh Jacobs, right, I think he should be one of the better running backs in the NFL – I don't understand why Lamar Jackson is not, you know, a top three quarterback in the league. I just, I think he's got it from a talent standpoint, but just from the neck up, he just, and and from the production standpoint, there's just too many plays, you know, where he throws a pass in the end zone that gets picked off by Jordan Poyer there with four minutes, nine seconds left, you know, in the game. I mean, that's just a terrible result for the Ravens. And, you know, it, 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 it means the Bills just weren't pinned down deep like they would have been following any completion there, and the Bills were able to take advantage of it, and, and the result was what you saw. The Bills end up, you know, pulling out a win. You see Josh, you see Josh Allen, you know, jumping up off the bench when they kicked the field goal it, with, with basically a sigh of relief. They're like, oh, my God, we won the game in Baltimore, and we're actually going to actually going to, you know, come out of here with a W. I mean, it was to me, it was just uh, it was a textbook, Baltimore Ravens, what are you thinking, end of the game, and they coughed the game up. Yeah, it, it, they coughed the game up, and I, I got to start questioning the mentality of Baltimore. You know, my f- initial reaction was, man, I love Baltimore next week. They're taking on the Bengals. You know, I, I like what they're they're doing, but you got to question it. They've blown two fourth-quarter leads now in, in just miraculous fashion. They've got to be looking at each other and saying, what's going on? Lamar Jackson's doing everything out here by himself, but also let's not mask over the fact that the Bills have not looked good. 
look, when the Bills all of a sudden started having all these injuries to, uh, you know, uh, Chris, and it was all the secondary has all these injuries and it's a big problem. And uh, what are we going to do? And they're dealing with backups to backups to backups. Well, oh, you know, they went up and they pretty much played well. I mean, they pretty much shut them down. It's the offense that weirdly is not producing. Josh Allen only had 213 yards today, right? Uh, Stephon Diggs, four catches, 62 yards. It was a weird situation where the offense has taken a step back. You need Josh Allen to be Josh Allen. And from a fantasy perspective, you know, guys like me that have him as every one of their quarterback, you're going to go, oh, yeah, look, he gave me plenty. I'm not worried about it. But from an overall perspective, you have to say, Josh Allen has to get back to being Josh Allen. He really does for this team to go big and do big things. I didn't watch a Super Bowl champion today in the Buffalo Bills. And you can talk to me about the elements, like you said, and it's a tough Ravens team, sure. But watch a Super Bowl championship team. And I certainly didn't see an AFC championship game um, between the two teams that I thought that there would be. I thought it was sloppy. I thought it was messy. I worry about the Ravens' mindset going into that game against the Bengals. I thought I'd be all over the Ravens. Bengals have extra time. Bengals are getting healthy. All of a sudden, the Ravens, their mental state is something we have to be concerned about. Yeah, we're going to see the writing on the wall in this matchup between the Bengals and the Ravens because, you know, Baltimore is is serious. Look, they're two and two. But, you know, you're, you're hosting, you know, one of the like, – obviously, the you know, the AFC defending champions. you got to kind of set your mark there. you got to uh, kind of get your stamp back on the season and get back – in the winning track, and uh, what what better way to do it than do it against a team that uh, was able to get out a win, get a win this week, and is still going to look to kind of build on that. So it's it's going to be a very intriguing matchup with Baltimore and Cincinnati next week, much more so than Buffalo as they uh, play host to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who uh, have their own questions of their own. You know, with the Ravens, okay, being two and two, they're zero and two at home. We know that this team wants to run. J.K. Dobbins looked good, okay? Uh, We know Lamar Jackson looks like an MVP. But are there still limitations on Lamar Jackson? I mean, I can't believe I'm asking this. I picked him to win the MVP before the year began. Got him at great odds, 25 to 1 odds, right? I, I like what he does. I am a big fan of Lamar Jackson and what he's turned himself into, which was yeah, hey, you know what? He realized I'm I'm a runner. I got to bulk up. I got to work on my passing. I like that he did all that, okay? But you know, there's still questions about his ability to pass because while he leads the NFL in touching uh, touchdown passes coming into the year, he had two targets, two targets to Mark Andrews today. Mark Andrews going into the fourth quarter, one catch for eight yards. He's not finding the guys that he needs to find. Where we rip apart Derek Carr for constantly looking at Devontae Adams and just going to him and peppering him with balls, Lamar Jackson doesn't do that, and he wants to almost still be a runner first and then a passer second. I still believe that some of the question marks about Lamar Jackson do exist out there. I still believe that in a game where you have the lead that they had, you have to be able to make that play and force the ball to your best receiver, which is Mark Andrews. You've got to be able to get those double teams, have faith in your arm, have faith in your passing game. I still think that there's some Lamar Jackson questions out there, Chris. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's a question of efficiency, right? And it's a question of uh, being doing it in big moments when it counts. It's not necessarily just about stat building. Look, understanding that he's, you know, leading the NFL in touchdown passes. It's not like he's lighting it up from a, you know, 
from a from a yardage standpoint. He had the one game over 300 yards right against the Dolphins back in uh, September. But it's not it's there, there's not some uh, idea that he is uh, one of those guys that's out there throwing for 350 and four touchdowns every week. Not necessarily the case. Now uh, this this might be sort of a wake up call for him because you're going up against a quality defense in Buffalo, and so you know that that's more more so I'd say than the likes of the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins, who he previously faced this year. But to me, I mean, as far as analyzing whether or not he's he still has an opportunity to get to maybe another level as a quarterback in the NFL, which is I think is basically what you're alluding to. It's not necessarily just about, you know, you know, analyzing X's and O's with him. It's can he can he get to a level where you say, okay, yeah, fr- from both a pa- I mean, you want him to be more of a passer, obviously, than a runner, although he still has that natural ability. But for him to do that, it's gotta be he's gotta be able to do it in big moments, and it's gotta be taking teams to the winning column, right? He has to be able to get to a Super Bowl and win it. He has to be able to get deep in the playoffs consistently and win. And so, I mean, that's I think that's a big reason why the jury is still out regarding Lamar Jackson as being, you know, being able to take it to the next level as a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. For me, you know, I I want a guy that trusts his best option when the chips are down that trusts, okay, I'm going to go to this guy. We, we watched it forever. We talked about, uh, you know, Tom Brady forever. Oh, when the chips get, get are down and everything's up against it. And what, what does he do? He's going to Gronk. Right or he's going to Edelman. He knows the guy he has to go to. We watched it with Aaron Rodgers when things are bad. Oh, where is he going? Oh, well, you know what? He's turning around. He's going to Devontae Adams. Patrick Mahomes when everything's up against it. Where is he going? Oh, he's going to Kelsey. I mean, we know that. Well, when the chips are down, everything's up against it, and you need to get that first down. You have to get that first down. He doesn't go to Mark Andrews. Right. It's not the guy that he automatically looks to and says, "I'm going to force it to him," and he should do that you know Bateman is a good player and Duvernay looks like he could be a player but there's one guy you need to trust on this team and it just seems in key spots playoff situations real good defenses and in tight games he doesn't trust that great player and that great player is Mark Andrews yeah Tommy Tommy all due respect right to uh to 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 Bateman Ricard Dobbins and uh Duvernay but it, it is Mark Andrews who is that that marquee guy in that Baltimore offense that Lamar Jackson has to be able to trust to kind of take that step to the next level. Yeah, I completely agree. I, yeah. He's got to be the guy. Uh, he and he doesn't have to be Gronk Kelsey level, but he's got to be Gronk Kelsey light. I mean, that's really what it has to be. All right, Chris, let's take a quick timeout. Come back for hour number two. Lots of games on the board still to talk about, including your Lions. The Eagles go to 4-0. We'll talk about that. And the Steelers get Kenny Pickett back. And it seems to not really matter. All that and more right after this right here on Heatwave Sports. Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. Hour number two, Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com with Chris Wynn. We're going through every NFL game. What happened today? What can we expect next week? Our early thoughts on all of that. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com still crushing it, right? Still still right now hitting 60% at TomBartonSports.com. I had a good uh, college week. I bet against UNLV. Sorry, guys, but I took the points. I, I love the points there. Um, this was 
this is one of those weeks where if you sign up at TomBartonSports.com, I give you guys 30 days of plays. So you're going to have some weeks where our are just your head above water, are right about 500. You're going to have weeks like I did on opening week where I went 4-0 in the NFL. But with 30 days of plays at TomBartonSports.com, you're getting enough volume that after 30 days you're going to have uh, you're going to have a profit. I have done the numbers. You could go look at the numbers. You could go check out Capper's monitor. You could go check out anything that you need to, Capper, Capper Tech, everywhere that I'm monitored. Go check it all out and understand this. It's all verified. Not only is it verified, I'm giving out free plays on the air here. I'm giving out free plays at Sports Garden Network on my SGN Wanna Bet show this morning. I gave out the Justin Herbert play. I'm giving out free plays on Believe Podcast Network. You guys could go to Tom Barton Sports and go check that out and go listen to Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm giving out free plays everywhere, guys. Okay. And and it just goes to show you what you can do with my plays when you do eventually jump on board at TomBartonSports.com because the free plays turn into this. Now, you can be somebody that goes, you know, I, I like to bet the NFL on my own and, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. You are. But for the small cost of 200 bucks for 30 days, guys, jump on with me and we can do, do a double win kind of situation. Uh, one of the craziest things I always hear is that people that do realize, yes, you can win in this business, but they don't want anybody else's advice. Take your ego aside. Don't even tell anybody that you're signed up with me. Just sign up at TomBartonSports.com now. Go check me out at Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube as well. And like I said, Sports Garden Network, that's where you're going to see me. Sports Garden Network, G-A-R-T-E-N, uh, Believe in Betting and Wagering Week are the podcasts. Chris, let's get into it here. Um, it, it's your team, right? And it is the Detroit Lions. Who were the favorites today? They opened up at six and a half point favorites. And I'm sorry, it, it got a chuckle out of me because I never thought I'd see the day where the Lions were six and a half point favorites. It felt a little weird. And then it went down to like four by game time, four and a half, depending on where you were shopping. And the Lions were favored. And it seemed to me that the Lions were favored with people that were just digging their heels into the turf. The Lions are favored by people that weren't watching this Lions team. And it's not to say the Lions are bad. Okay. The Lions were not bad. They came in scoring a touchdown in 17 straight quarters, right? They scored in 17 straight quarters in the NFL. That was the, the record. Yeah, that's great. But they dug their heels in because they were not watching what the Lions do. What the Lions do effectively was look, they, they, they use Swift, they use St. Brown, but they also had a deficiency in the defensive backfield. And then they lost Walker for the year. The Lions defensive backs were not only bad coming into this game. They got a lot of pass interference calls, so even the statistics were even worse than that. Well, the Seahawks, who couldn't get out of their own way, the Seahawks offensive line ranked 32nd in run blocking coming into this game. Rashad Penny had 151 yards and two touchdowns. The Seahawks went absolutely ballistic today. Uh, Lockett with a good game. Metcalf with a good game. They put up 48 points on this Lions defense. The Lions put up 45. They showed competitiveness. Jared Goff looked good. They wouldn't die. TJ Hawkinson finally woke up after like four years, but it just wasn't enough. The Lions defense, it just doesn't seem like it is enough. You could take advantage of that secondary. When you took a look at this line, Tom, obviously the pregame narrative was, okay, it's the Seattle Seahawks. The perception is it's supposed to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're going on the road against a team that has a, you know, a young fiery coach and a, a team that 
has you know a, a, the inability to score points offensively, and they play well at home. So hey, so that's why the Lions should be favored. This game played out nothing of the sort like that at all. This was an absolutely dismal performance by the Detroit Lions from a defensive standpoint. Now, look, Detroit's offense was productive. Make no mistake about it. Jared Goff went out there, threw for a ton of yards, threw for a ton of touchdown passes, despite the fact, and as you pointed out, that they were missing key pieces across the board. DeAndre Swift did not play. They're missing DJ Chark, who is, is going to be an instrumental part of the Lions. They're going to be successful throughout the rest of the year. Obviously, the, the uh, absence of Amon Ross St. Brown is huge for Detroit. So the idea that Detroit was going to be able to get things clicking offensively, I thought was shocking to me. Yet they still were able to do it, which was kind of crazy. And But they just weren't able to overcome the team's just flat-out dismal performance defensively. They allowed the Seahawks, Tommy, to score more in this one game than they've combined for in their first three previous games. I mean, the first half, Geno Smith, they were making him look like Joe Montana out there. I mean, he was out there uh, just efficient as all get out. Uh, if he wasn't throwing touchdown passes, he was running for running into the end zone for touchdowns. It was just absolutely. I mean, and look, and it was what's kind of ironic about this whole thing is during the whole hard knocks series and during the preseason and in training camp, people were raving about Aaron Glenn as a defensive coordinator, saying, "Oh, this guy's great. He's you know he's he's the next hot name for head coaching possibilities." And he has just been absolutely atrocious as a defensive coordinator there. Defensively, it is it is absolutely, Tommy Barton, absolutely obvious what is ailing the Detroit Lions in this one and three start. And it's not about the offense. It's not about Jared Goff. It's not about what they can do through the I mean, you score 45 points at home and you cannot beat one of the worst teams in the NFL. That, I can't say it more plainly than that. That's exactly what happened in this football game. You, if you're the Seattle Seahawks, you love what you got out of Rashad Penny, right? It was, it was uh, Rashad Penny, which just went nuts, particularly in the second half with two touchdown runs, basically over 40 yards. He was ultra productive. You love what you got from DK Metcalf and Noah Fant, as well as Will Disley offensively as well, too. You had some key uh, offensive miscues by Detroit. You had the Khalif Raymond fumble that gave the Seahawks that 15-point lead late in the first half. And, you know, and then you get Geno Smith, you know, running seven times for almost 50 yards, including that eight-yard eight touchdown rush. So, look, Pete Carroll and, and, and the uh, Seattle Seahawks, I still don't think they're a team that's going to be a serious contender when it comes to the NFC. But I, I, I looked at this game, it was absolutely on the Detroit defense. And as a Detroit Lions fan, obviously, it was frustrating as all get out to watch it because this is a Lions team that unless things don't get fixed or there's some magic potion in the air, this is going to be a team that gives up a lot of points to a lot of teams, and they don't even have to be good teams, Tommy. They can be bad teams, and they're still going to be able to put up the likes of you know twenty-five to thirty-five points a game. That was, that that was my big concern, and you know I took a I took a prop play on Tyler Lockett, who was targeted eleven times in the last two games. I said you know they're not stopping anybody from being able to pass the ball on them. So you look at next week here, you got Lions Patriots. The Patriots' offense is terrible. The Patriots are dealing with backups to backups. The Patriots can't pass. The Patriots can't do anything, right? But the Patriots are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Why? Because they know you just said it. It doesn't matter who you are. The Seahawks were all those things that I just said about the Patriots, and they came in and put up 48 on them. 
The Lions have to travel after a loss like this. They're still going to be banged up, at least in some capacity, against a New England team that's hard to play in Foxborough. you got to go up against Belichick, who just played close against Green Bay. I think this is a little overreaction line. I think that this line should be about a pick em, but I get it. The total is sitting here at 47. Again, I sort of get it, okay? Um, I can't go on your Lions here, Chris. I don't feel comfortable about taking the Patriots and laying the points, but I can't go on your Lions because, man, they just made Geno Smith look good. Mac Jones might come in half healthy and still put up good numbers. Tommy, it makes a ton of sense that the Patriots be favored in this matchup given they're playing at home, and it's between two teams that uh, still are trying to establish exactly what their identity is going to be. The injured list is going to play a big part in this matchup between Detroit and New England because I want to see if what uh, the availability will be regarding Mara St. Brown and also DJ Chark as far as those ankle injuries that they had. Also, another keynote for the Lions from the wide receiving core, man, uh, Quintus uh, Quintus. Uh, 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 Copias went off, left the game also with an injury too. So uh, Quintus Cephas, so you're, 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 that's another guy that's hurt for them. They still have uh, Oruwari out on the defensive side as far as the cornerback uh, position is concerned too. And he left the game with a neck injury. So Detroit's injuries are going to play a big part into whether or not uh, they're going to be able to, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even want to say it, surprise, surprisingly get a win on the road against the likes of the New England Patriots who, look, I'm not, am I going to be wide-eyed and shocked, Tommy, if, you know, Zappi goes out there and has a good a good game and uh, and the Patriots win? Absolutely not. I think this is a matchup of two teams that uh, we still just don't know what we're to expect of them this year. Yeah, there's a chance Mac Jones could come back for this one. You know, I mean, and not that he's a massive upgrade, but he is an upgrade. All right, let's go to the game that bothered me more than anything today. Like I said, I had a chance at a 4-0 day. Uh, I went 2-2. Two and two. I went two and two because I had the Steelers minus three. I bought it back to the three um, and I had huh, the under. So with about, <laughs> you know, about what, a minute to go, minute and a half to go. I felt good. I had the Steelers who were beating the Jets 20 to 17. They put Kenny Pickett in the game. He gave them a spark. Kenny Pickett came in. He gave them exactly what they thought, which was a spark. You'll read the, the box score and see that Kenny Pickett threw a couple of interceptions. Not his fault. It was off guys' hands. He came in. He did exactly what they thought. I thought, okay, here comes the Steelers. Here we go. It's going to be good. Zach Wilson leads this team down the field with about a minute to go. The Jets score a touchdown on the most ridiculous running play we, that that Miles Jack, who I like, but Miles Jack had Brees Hall wrapped up in the backfield about three yards Beyond the touchdown, there was no way he was going to score. He scores a touchdown. The Jets stunned the Steelers 24-20, to blew up my day from 4-0 to 2-2 in the blink of an eye. And I look at my Tomlin and I go, I like that you went with Pickett. I do. I think it was the right move to go with Pickett. I think you should stay with Pickett. Harris ran the ball effectively today. Pickens ran the ball effectively today. The offense actually did okay. I like what we're what we're getting out of the offense out of today. But I also go, how does your defense allow the New York Jets to do what they did? How does your defense allow the New York Jets, not only on the final drive, but how do you allow the Jets to put up 14 points in the fourth quarter? How do you do? Do you not get to them? Two backup uh, uh, offensive linemen, an offensive lineman that is ranked fifth worst in the league, yet he hasn't started a game. You just can't get pressure. You can't get anything going on. Uh, this team has they're zero seven 
the last seven games that TJ Watt doesn't play. And suddenly I have to worry about the Steelers' defense, Chris? I mean, th- this was just a travesty of a game. A little bit unsurprising to say the least, right? Because, it, you know, the Jets putting together their second massive comeback on the road in three weeks. Last month, of course, we saw it in Cleveland. It was Joe Flacco's turn to do it that time, pulling out, you know, an improbable victory in the final seconds there while, you know, Zach Wilson's recovering from that knee injury that he suffered during the preseason. But to me, it was all about Zach Wilson and confidence, 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 Tommy. I, had, I, I mean, I really did kind of have flashbacks to early in Matthew Stafford's career in Detroit where there would be occasionally times, you know, look, Detroit was a mediocre team back then, but there would occasionally be times where the Lions would pull out victories, and it was because Matthew Stafford was going to, you know, pick them up on his shoulders and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm driving this team down the field, and we're scoring a touchdown here. It's kind of the same kind of feel I got in this tilt as you had the Jets. You had Zach Wilson saying basically, no, we're not going down just to kick a game-time field goal. We're going down, and we're going to actually score a touchdown here and win this football game. And that's exactly what happened. You had, you know, Wilson kind of leaning in in the huddle and uh, saying to Bryce, Brees Hall, basically, hey, we're, gonna, we're, we're scoring a touchdown here. And then what, what happens, Tommy? Ten plays, 65 yards later, you get a, you know, you get a, you get a handful of, uh, of heady throws from Wilson, including that, you know, that one outstretched arm by – and then you get, uh, you know, Brees Hall kind of, you know, that outstretched arm that gets them in the end zone. And uh, you've got a franchise in the New York Jets that, let's face it, it's been a franchise that's been running in place basically for years. They've taken a, a potential step here. The Jets are two and two, man. They're two and two, and they're, they're taking a step forward with kind of an unlikely win here against a team that uh, spoils Kenny Pickett's uh, debut as the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. So I was uh, I, the word was surprised for me that the Jets were able to kind of win this football game because I thought the Steelers was just by uh, a force of wills and just by you know having basically you know a better football team was going to win this one. And the Jets and uh, Robert Sala and company really surprised me by pulling out this W. Yeah, the word for me was disgusted. The Bills take on the Steelers next week. Two touchdown favorite, 14 points up at Orchard Park. You know, I look at this and I go, look, I, the Bills are willing, are ready to break out, right? They're, they have that, that breakout game coming. I think that they're going to put it all together. But I look at the Steelers and I go, I think Kenny Pickett might give them a spark. I think that they might be able to stay within this number strictly because – they found something, a little something offensively. Can I expect the defense to do anything anymore? No, not after what I watched today. But I can't lay 14 points in this spot. Not that I'm taking the Steelers. I wanted to take the Bills. After two subpar performances, I think Josh Allen goes nuts. He has a great performance. But against the Steelers, oh, it has me a little hesitant. I don't think there's a whole lot of intrigue whatsoever in this matchup. I think Buffalo absolutely flexes their muscles, and this could be one of those 21-plus uh, point wins for the Bills as they uh, offensively are able to get on track. What's more intriguing, Tommy, is the matchup as the Jets uh, come back home and take on Miami, obviously an AFC East rival there. The Dolphins have dominated this series as of late. They've won eight out of their last nine, Tommy Barton. So what do you think happens as uh, the Jets uh, sitting with with uh, an even record there, two and two, taking on the likes of the Miami Dolphins and, of course, everything that's transpiring surrounding uh, Tua Tagovailoa and this, uh, and this uh, team from South Beach. Yeah, listen, if you guys follow me on Twitter, at Tom Barton Sports, I, I asked uh, right after I saw Tua go down, I asked Jeffrey Benson and, and Jay Cornegie uh, from Circa and Westgate, and I said, 
what do you think? Because the line was five and a half before Tua went down. I said, do you think I could get under a field goal? And they basically said, hey, yeah, you might be able. I think you could get two, two and a half if the Jets beat the Steelers. Well, the Jets beat the Steelers. It opened up at three in a lot of spots. Some some places you could get two and a half. And that's exactly what it was. Look, I was dying for this. Teddy Covers is still Teddy Covers. He's the best covering quarterback uh, in, in history. Do not read too much into what you saw. There's still the Jets. You said it. Miami has extra rest. Miami, Miami has Teddy Bridgewater. I think that the, the world is going to be on the Jets because, hey, you know what? Look at what they just did. And I'm going, yeah, no, give me Miami. I'm liking Miami in that one. Uh, let's keep it with, with Florida. The Jaguars played well. The Jaguars had a 14-0 lead. The Jaguars had everything rolling for them, yet they lose 29-21. They could not score. They scored the first 14 points and then watched the Eagles put up 20 in the second quarter, scoreless third, and finish it off in the fourth quarter. The Eagles looked really good. The Eagles were able to run. The Jaguars held um, Eckler and Jonathan Taylor to 59 combined total yards, while Miles Sanders said, yeah, I'm going for 134 and two touchdowns. Jacksonville still looked impressive. Jacksonville's defense still looked good to me. Uh, they were just beaten by a better team, and right now Philly's that better team. A little bit misleading, though, right, with the Jaguars getting that 14-point lead from the aspect of you don't want to give too much a credit to the Jaguars' offense, right, because you had the Cisco, what, 59-yard interception return there in the first quarter, uh, essentially in the first drive, so that ended up giving them a quick 7 nothing lead. But but that not but that notwithstanding, look, you're, you're, you're – uh, you're, you're the Jaguars, and you can't give up, you can't give up 20 points in the second quarter like that. I, I understand. Look, it's the Eagles. You got a team that's rolling. They're the lone undefeated team. Uh, you know, I, I I've been talking about it left and right. How I have a you know futures ticket, obviously on uh, Jalen Hurts to win the MVP, and 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 uh, you know I'm not going to get too crazy about it yet. But yeah, uh, you can't let them put up a 20 spot there in the second quarter. And uh, and and the running game has been ex- extremely versatile, right? I mean, it's not just Miles Sanders out there. You've got Gainwell. You've got some other guys out there that can that can actually put up numbers and uh, and 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 throw down. But uh, Sanders, a big time game over over 130 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and AJ Brown continues to be an instrumental part of that Philadelphia passing game. Almost 100 yards receiving, even though he wasn't able to get in the end zone, still. Uh, pretty impressive game. You can just you can just see that is the next uh, outstanding combination of quarterback and wide receiver in the NFL with Hertz and AJ Brown there in Philadelphia. So they're able to get the win uh, despite the fact that the Jaguars have been pretty, pretty solid. You're coming out of the gate so far in the first four games of the season. But uh, again, going to be very interested to see exactly what uh, the Eagles do next week in their matchup. But uh, it was ex- we were expecting. The Eagles do win this football game despite the fact that the Jaguars are upstart, and that's exactly what we saw in this matchup between Philadelphia and Jacksonville, Tommy. Next week, Jacksonville at home, minus seven against the Texans. Um, I, I got to be all in on the Jacksonville Jaguars here. I think that they've proven uh, that they are that good team. They just can't seem to beat the elite teams. I'm fine with it. I think the Texans are a sham. And then you look at the Eagles and Cardinals. Uh, Eagles only minus five and a half in the desert. People still believe in this Cardinals team. Maybe there's some doubt creeping in here with the Eagles. Well, you got to go on a road. It's a long travel. We don't believe you're this good. You're not a 5-0 and team. I know that Tim already told me, hey, you know what? I'm kind of leaning the Cardinals here. What's your take on these two games? I can absolutely see the Cardinals pulling this one out. This is ab- To me, it screams, Tommy. It screams one of those parlay buster games, one of those, ga- you know, one of those games that, that Vegas ends up 
cleaning up on because a lot of I think a lot of the public, which is me basically, because that's what I am. I'm part of the public. It would be would be absolutely looking at at Philadelphia here in this spot, given you know the the results that have already played out throughout this season. So I could I could with 100% Tommy see some scenario where Kyler Murray goes for 270 to 300, a couple of touchdowns, maybe a couple on the ground. You could see James Conner kind of getting things right on the ground for for the the Cardinals and you know and and Brown and and the receiving core doing some things against the Philadelphia defense. We saw look we've seen teams this year already. Uh, we saw my Detroit Lions be able to score points against Philadelphia. So it's not as if you know this is a this is some staunch Philadelphia Eagles defense. So there's no question that uh, I would probably be in, in Tim Oglesby's camp as well too, and taking a hard look at uh, at the uh, the uh, the Redbirds in this matchup of uh, of two birds in the matchup in the desert. Titans Colts. Titans, uh, they had full control of this game. 14 points in the first quarter. Derrick Henry uh, beat his over-under by the half. I told you the last night, 71 and a half rushing yards. Yeah, he did that. He had his breakout game of 22 carries, 114 and a touchdown. Mo Alley-Cox had two touchdowns. Matt Ryan threw for 356 in the losing effort, 24-17. This was a, look, this is a game that I kind of thought it was going to be. It was going to be nip and tuck. It's a one-score game. I'm not sure who wants to win. I think both teams have major deficiencies. I think both teams showed those deficiencies uh, right away. Um, you can run on the Colts. Uh, Shaquille Darius Leonard was taken out of the game with a concussion. He's missed a lot of time. You can run on the Colts. You can run on the Titans. You can play good defense in both spots. They both have quarterback issues. I think they they mirror each other. Titans just walked away with a win here. Yeah, matchup, obviously, of uh, two, two running back champions, you know, running back NFL rushing champions in Taylor. And Henry Henry ends up winning out as uh, he was just absolutely impressive across the board. But for the Titans, you look, this is what they do. This is what the Titans are going to do to be successful. You rely heavily on Henry early on, and he delivered with his uh, fifth hundred yard game in the what the past six games of this matchup between the Indianapolis Colts, where the Titans are essentially what eleven and two against uh, AFC South opponents since 2020. So pretty dominant for this Tennessee team when they play within the division. And, Tommy, all the Colts could do was try to kind of keep up. And you can't keep up, my friend, when you've got three turnovers and three missed scoring chances over the final 16 minutes that were just too much for for the Colts. And, look, this is an Indianapolis team that is absolutely reeling, Tommy. They have one win in their past six games. You would be hard-pressed, and I'd love your opinion on this. I mean, is there a team that's more disappointing than the Indianapolis Colts are so far early on in this season. I mean, not to me, there's not. I mean, I just I just don't see it. I mean, Frank Reich uh, talked about it after the game. Look, by the end, we need to play better. We need to execute better. And we need to stop turning the ball over. I mean, yeah, I mean, captain obvious to the rescue here. I mean, it's, it's you can't, you can't turn the ball over and you can't, you know, keep, uh, you need, and you need to start getting turnovers and run the football if you're going to be successful, if you're the Indianapolis Colts, you're not going to be one, two, and one. So, I mean, look, they avoided disaster in that game. Uh, I believe it was against the Texans right early on, where they tied the they tied the Texans. But uh, it's, I mean, this is a team that is not impressive by any stretch of the imagination, and they've got a whole bunch of things they need to figure out before they uh, are considered to, to be the the top of the uh, the AFC South anytime soon. 
Yeah, you know, look, they're they're a team that I thought was going to not be that great this year. The defensive turnover was just too much for me to kind of buy into them. Uh, but I I get what you're saying. They are certainly disappointing. Um, you know, you look at what they they have coming up Thursday night. They're going up against the Broncos. They'll be the underdogs again. Broncos three point favorite. I think they can win this game. I think it's a very winnable game. But you got to get Jonathan Taylor back on track. He looked terrible today. And the philosophy just seems to be almost use him as a decoy, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, I think that it's a winnable game. I don't. I don't think I can go anywhere near this Thursday game. Yeah, you, and you got to you got to be concerned, right, Tommy? When you take a look at that injury situation, you had th- a three time All Pro linebacker in Shaquille Leonard, right? I mean, who made his season debut today, and it was all, it was over before it even started, right? Second quarter, he ends up running into a teammate near the near. Uh, the goal, and he had to be helped from the field where he was uh, diagnosed with a concussion. Of course, they still don't have Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, or, or excuse me, he was, uh, Jonathan Taylor was out also, and he left uh, late in this game with an injured ankle. So injury is a big concern also for the Colts moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be uh, one of those wait-and-see type of games. All right, let's squeeze one more game in here real quick before the break. Cowboys, Commanders, uh, you said it, Cooper Rush. 223, two touchdowns. He's 3-0 as a starter. Cowboys are getting it done with their defense, which we thought they would. Carson Wentz leads the league in sacks taken. Uh, I, I'm just very impressed with the Dallas Cowboys, not because of Cooper Rush. I'm impressed with their, their game plan of, hey, look, let's shorten the game, play with what we have. It's a straight defensive game. They'll run Zeke, run Pollard, get Lamb out in space. They're getting him, you know, not taking deep bombs. They're getting him where they need to have the the option to get him in in playmaking ability, I like that for Washington. Look, I, I'm not shocked that this is the Washington team that we see. The Washington team is that is banged up, can't do anything on offense, can't protect Carson Wentz. This was not a shocking result to me. I, I'm I'm happy to see that Dallas is going with what they know to go with and what they know is going to work. Yeah, Cowboys got to feel good, right, about uh, having the game still in the balance, and then you get that touchdown pass from. Cooper Rush to Michael Gallup there in uh, in Gallup's by, by the way his season debut and uh, it ends up being the difference. Now look, but let's let's not uh, get it twisted as the kids would say, Tommy. The Dallas Cowboys, the reason they're winning football games and the reason that they have been able to win three straight is not because of Cooper Rush. It's not because of the offense. It's because of that defense. I mean, the defense hasn't given up what more than 17 points in a game during the whole time that Cooper's been out there as a starting quarterback, and it's the first time the defense has held. The team's first four opponents to 19 points or fewer since 1973, Tommy. I was a tyke. I don't think you were even born yet. 1973. That's the last time the Cowboys defense was this efficient. So defensively, you got to love it if you're a Cowboys fan. And look, as much as I love Cooper Rush, fellow Lansing, Michigan native, by the way, went to Lansing Catholic Central High School, of course, Central Michigan as well, too. And uh, we're very proud of him. But... You know, it's he's essentially Gary Hogaboom, right? He's essentially, uh, you know, uh, you can you name the uh, the backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys that had to come in. This is not a quarterback controversy whatsoever. When Dak Prescott comes back, he's going to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, and their fortunes are going to rest on his arm and uh, and on the rest of that offenses. But no, make no mistake, it's been uh, kind of cool to see, uh, if, especially if you're a Cowboy fan and you're the Dallas Cowboys themselves, to see Cooper Rush being able to kind of uh, be a part of this nice uh, three-game run, which they've gotten to 3-1, and, and now they're you know sitting pretty right there 
uh, up near the top of the division in the uh, in the NFC East. So uh, we'll see what happens when they do get Dak Prescott back and if they can uh, kind of uh, be more explosive, right, Tommy, from an offensive standpoint. But make no mistake about it, defensively, this is why the Dallas Cowboys are sitting at 3-1 and one and were able to get that win over division rival Washington today. Cowboys catching five and a half against the Rams. Uh, we got to see what happens tomorrow night. But I'm, my immediate lean is I like the Cowboys. I like their defense. And Washington against the Titans, they'll be hosting them. I think Tennessee might have found something. Maybe got, maybe you just have to not be baby gloves with Derrick Henry and just let him run wild against the Commanders, who I don't know if they could stop him. I don't love this game at all because it's in Washington. But I'm leaning the Titans, and I'm leaning the Cowboys with the points. Yeah, I definitely would, would, uh, could see Tennessee handling their business at home in Nashville against Washington. And uh, that's going to be an intriguing matchup next week as you've got the Savannah Stanley Cup champions coming. Uh, the Cowboys are 0-2 against the Rams since they moved back to Los Angeles. That first loss was uh, the divisional playoff game back in 2018, obviously. So uh, I don't think it's a, a very good matchup for the Cowboys against the likes of Los Angeles. But we shall see, Mr. Barton, if uh, if if – if Cooper Rush, which will probably be, it, it, there's a possibility it could be Cooper Rush's last game as a starting quarterback there if they can keep up with that uh, explosive Rams offense. All right, let's take a quick timeout here. It's going to be our last timeout. Come on back. We got three games left to talk about on the other side of the break, right here on Heat Wave Sports. I can't believe you asked that. I really can't believe it. Let me see here Kentucky Wildcats. Number four in the country. I'm hearing four first-round draft choices. And you're asking me how that got away from me? They're the big blue. You ought to know that. I'm not mad at you. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. All right, guys. Welcome back. Last 20 minutes or so in the show, we got three games to go. Talking a little NFL football that happened today. Talking about the big blue, right? We just heard the big blue, Chris Wynn. Tom Barton from Tom Barton Sports and Chris Wynn sitting in here. Oh, the big blue. I, I, I'm looking at the New York Giants. What a weird game this was. Look, I hit the under. I was okay with it. Um, the Chicago Bears, they just they just cannot score. They, they put up field goals all day long. The Giants were kind of doing the same thing. Saquon Barkley carried the ball 31 times for 146 yards. This game got so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that the Giants uh, were wearing the Wildcat because all of their quarterbacks were injured. Daniel Jones got injured. Then Tyrod Taylor got injured. So they had Saquon Barkley running the, the as the quarterback, but they had Daniel Jones for some reason as the wide receiver. With all that being said, the Bears had a chance to win this, and they muffed a, a – it was about two minutes and five seconds to go. They muffed a kick. Look, the Bears are playing a different sport. I said that last night. This is the games that they want to play. They want to play close, tight, low-scoring, run-the-ball-all-day type of games, and, and the Giants gave them this kind of game. It was back and forth all day. They were in the game. The Giants, meanwhile, still have not scored over 20 points yet this year, yet the Giants are 3-1. and one. So their formula is kind of the same thing. I don't know how banged up Daniel Jones is going to be. I don't know how banged up Tyron Taylor is going to be. I can't look at the Giants and, and say I have any confidence in them next week. But I know, Chris, you've already looked at that line with a crooked little you know, tilt and saying, wow, I can't believe the Giants are getting that many points. We'll talk about this matchup with the Giants and the Bears. Talk about an 
offensive smorgasbord and free-for-all Tommy Barton. When it came to the New York Giants, Brian Dable reached reached for his, uh, his marker and his grease board and just went nuts, right? You got Daniel Jones limited because of that ankle injury, right? And then you have Tyrod Taylor go down with a concussion basically midway late in the game there through the fourth quarter. And, you know, you got you got uh, you got Daniel Jones running for those two touchdowns in the first half before he gets hurt. Saquon with a big time game, of, what, 146 yards. And then, you know, and then by running kind of a last resort wildcat offense thing that was going on. And you had Dayball saying that the Giants had some three back calls in the game plan. And he and offensive line coach Bobby Johnson showed the players a couple of add ons to kind of get them through the final seven minutes of the game. You got Jones lining up at wide receiver on most of those plays just so he could hear the calls in his helmet and relay the plays to the offense. Barkley did the rest, you know, taking direct snaps from Feliciano, who centered the, who centered the line, and that helped the Giants rush for – look, the, the, the results are the same. They rushed for 262 yards, bro. It was crazy. So it was, it was absolutely an offensive performance by the Giants. That was impressive. Uh, but the Chicago Bears have question marks, of course, across the board. We understand Justin Fields is a young quarterback, and Tommy getting on social media after that game and bouncing around to a few videos from, from a Chicago Bear faithful, they weren't too impressed with Justin Fields. They want to see more from him. And uh, it's, again, a team that's in transition. We don't yet know what they're going to be offensively. Obviously, you know, with, uh, with uh, I think, two quality backs in Herbert and Montgomery, Montgomery injured, of course, is a big key. But this is a Chicago team that has to figure some things out. Let's go to the Browns, Falcons. Uh, you want to talk about running game. The Browns want to run it all day long. Nick Chubb did 19 rushes, 118 yards. It was not enough. The Falcons win 23-20. Jacoby Brissett played an okay game, right? David Njoku played an okay game. Nick Chubb played an okay game. Uh, the defense played okay without Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, but the Falcons have done what the Falcons just keep doing. They are 4-0 against the spread. The Falcons just keep sort of impressing without impressing. I mean, is that a thing? But it's reality, right? The Falcons, nobody is out there impressing you. Kyle Pitts isn't. I mean, Drake London looks okay. Uh, Cordell Patterson, yeah, he's, he's, he's effective. Uh, Marcus Mariota is sort of getting the job done. But the Falcons are impressing without impressing. This is a win. It's a solid win. I still don't know really what to make of this Falcons team. I'm looking at them next week. They're getting eight and a half points against the Buccaneers. Uh, my initial reaction is the Bucs should squash them. Here we go. They own the series, everything. And I go, you know, the Falcons just keep playing close with everybody. I mean, they really do, and no one's giving them any, any, any respect. Meanwhile, the Browns take on the Chargers next week. At home, they're getting three points against the Chargers, a banged-up Chargers. Uh, we know Nick Chubb's going to run the ball effectively. This was one of those strange kind of games where, again, the Falcons didn't look impressive, but they got an impressive win, and the Browns, Ah, you know, they are who we think that they are. They're about a 500 team. No doubt about it, Tommy. This is a Jekyll and Hyde game between two Jekyll and Hyde teams, in my opinion, in both uh, the NFC and AFC, obviously the Falcons and uh, the Cleveland Browns. Look, the Falcons, they get the 10-point lead early on. You see Correll Patterson gets get some things going on the ground and getting the touchdown in the first quarter. Then the Browns come back in the second quarter. Jacoby Brissett gets his you know the touchdown run, and they get a field goal, and they score 10 points. And then in the uh, in the second half, you know, it was uh, a little bit back and forth, but then the Falcons end up with 13 points in the fourth quarter, basically, uh, you know, uh, spurred 
I guess is not really the right word to use when you're talking about a field goal kicker. But it was uh, the Young Hoku show, you know, that uh, late in the game, you're not going to sit back and say, oh, yeah, you know, the Atlanta Falcons just looked electrifying in this matchup against the Cleveland Browns, who uh, the Cleveland Browns are kind of uh, a team that's kind of sitting back, waiting and see, treading water, use whatever analogy you want to use until, you know, Deshaun Watson is back in the mix and just hoping that that they can get by with Jacoby Brissett. Look, he had a decent game. It wasn't, you know, just, you know, through the roof. But they're uh, going to rely a ton on Nick Chubb. They're going to rely on Kareem Hunt. They're going to rely on, you know, the tight end. And uh, and and I was actually kind of shocked, to be quite honest with you, that uh, the just just the complete absence of Amari Cooper, right? I mean, Amari Cooper was just uh, non-existent whatsoever. And so uh, they're going to have to fix that. But this is not a, a matchup of two teams that I expect to go anywhere whatsoever and uh, was not surprised at all that uh, the fact that uh, the Falcons were playing at home in the Mercedes-Benz Dome and Mercedes-Benz Dome and get a victory by three points over the Browns. Yeah, you look at uh, the, how the day opened. You just said to me, man, it killed you. Out in London, and we're talking about it feels like three days ago, the Vikings beat the Saints 28-25. And the reason why I said, man, it killed you, I was live on the air and giving updates on this game. And I said it, look, I gave this game out during the week, and I could try to get on it early at two and a half or three. The uh, contest, the Circa, and the Westgate both had it at two and a half, Vikings minus two and a half. Then all the injuries for the Saints came down. Most people jumped on it immediately when they heard that, oh, Michael Thomas is going to be out, and Winston's uh, up and up and down. They jumped on it, and they said, okay, I'm going to take that three and a half. Then it was, okay, Winston's definitely out. The line jumped to four and a half. Line went out at five in some spots once Kamara was out. And this seemed like a game where the Vikings were going to take full advantage. They walked down the field, scored a quick touchdown, and then it was the field goal show. And the Vikings just could not get anything more than field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, and field goal. Justin Jefferson dropped an easy touchdown in the end zone. Even though he finished with 147 points, that definitely hurt them. And you get to the end of the game, all right, the Vikings score – they miss the extra point to open up the door for the Saints. Saints have a, a prayer. They kick a 60, yes, 60-yard 60 field goal to tie the game at 25. The Vikings come back down the field. They score, and they make it 28-25. The Saints try a 61-yarder, and it was a double doink that almost went in. Lo and behold, the Vikings get a victory that I don't even know how happy you could be about it. The Vikings get a victory where they barely survived against a team without its starting quarterback, starting wide receiver, and starting running back. And the Saints, if you're the Saints, you're going, hey, man, we hung with them without those three guys. We did not die, and we came this close. I mean, this close to tying that game at the end. Um, you got to feel good if you're the Saints at a loss, and I don't feel that good if I'm a Vikings even in a win. If you're Minnesota, you're certainly not jumping for joy, that's for sure, that you beat a team by three points that's missing their starting quarterback, missing one of their key wide receivers, missing some key pieces on defense as well, too. And, uh, and oh, by the way, missing your star running back as well, too. Yet uh, New Orleans was uh, was right in this football game. Look, I, I, you talked about the point spread. Look, I, everybody that hit the window and that was laying three and a half for the Minnesota Vikings had to be absolutely irate to see the Minnesota Vikings throughout most of this football game settle for field goals instead of getting into the end zone. That was a story to me with why this game was as close as it was throughout. The Minnesota Vikings just did not convert when they should have. 
in, in key spots. Now, that being said, you have to like it if you're a Vikings fan that Justin Jefferson bounced back, right, from two quiet games and that Greg Joseph was able to make amends for missing that extra point that uh, that got people all kinds of fired up that, of course, had the uh, minus three and a half, like myself, Tom Barton. So, you know, you'd love seeing Jefferson going out there, scoring the touchdown, and then he beats uh, Marshawn Lattimore on that 39-yard reception there to kind of set up Joseph's 47-yard field goal with 24 seconds left. And uh, and you, you said Minnesota essentially hung on for a 28-25 win there at uh, Tottenham's Hotspur Stadium there over there in jolly old England. But uh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Tommy, you know the Vikings fans and the Vikings themselves were thinking this game was going overtime because Will Lutz, Will Lutz just hit that 60-yarder and he lines up for the 61-yarder. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's going to make this too. You know, and he sends it on the way and it goes the old double doink where it hits off the crossbar and then hits off the, uh, the or hits off the upright and then the crossbar and then bounces out somehow, some way. And Minnesota escapes with a victory. Now, look, I picked the Vikings to win this division in the NFC North. I picked them to be, you know, a team that could possibly go to the Super Bowl. They're sitting at three and one, but I'm not feeling too great about it, Tommy. I'm just not. I, they, there's been there's been some spots where, you know, and the one loss, of course, coming to the you know undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. But there there are absolutely things that Minnesota needs to work on for them to uh, for to kind of solidify my belief, Tommy that they're going to be right there when it comes to the NFC playoff picture late. Next week, Saints giving four points at home to the Seahawks. I don't think you could touch that game until we hear about the injuries uh, on both sides. Uh, DK Metcalf was carted off the field and the three Saint injuries. And then, look, the Vikings taking on the Bears. That's a divisional matchup. And here's, here's the interesting thing. The Vikings schedule, okay, just from a schedule standpoint, they played on Monday night, short week, went to London, after the London game, they come home and you have to play a divisional game against the Bears just from a straight body clock, weird travel schedule. I think it is seven points is too much. I know it's the Bears and they have no offense. I think that that game, maybe it's the Chicago Bear and me talking, but I mean, I'm leaning the Bears because of this weird schedule where teams don't get off after London. I have to say, Tommy, I'm kind of torn, right? Because the Minnesota Vikings Bears, right? NFC North matchup. Just like Minnesota last week, right? They escaped with a win against the Detroit Lions, where you know the Lions essentially easily cover. But, but it's it, so you figure, okay, it's you know it's it's a division game, you know maybe the Bears keep it close. But I also on the other side, Tommy, think about this the same way I think about the Buffalo Bills game next week, where I say, oh, I just maybe maybe this is an opportunity for Minnesota to kind of put it all together and and put everybody in the NFL on notice, saying, okay. We're gonna we're gonna go out here. We're supposed to beat this team, and we're gonna put up a forty spot, right? We're gonna put up a thirty-five spot, and we're gonna hold the Bears to maybe a touchdown and a field goal. That's I mean, I I got a feeling it can go that direction as well too. So again, uh, as you pointed out uh, regarding the Seattle Seahawks Saints matchup next week, I want to see what the injury situation is with it, with this Bears and uh, and and Minnesota game, and then probably make a determination based on that as well. That's going to do it for the NFL here, Chris. We only have uh, about five, six minutes to go. I want to get your quick thoughts on the Major League Baseball and what's what's going on. The next time we talk, it'll already be the playoff season. So it looks like everything is decided. I, I know Milwaukee could catch Philadelphia, but they would need they would need to sweep their series here coming up 
and they would need Philadelphia to lose all three. Because remember, this year, if there's ties, it, there's no final playoff game. So it looks like Philly's going to get in. Milwaukee, uh, I think they have a good game tomorrow. Brandon Woodruff's on the mound against a, an absolute bum. Uh, I think Milwaukee has a huge game tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to be enough. So we'll say that that's done. And the Atlanta Braves and New York Mets, the New York Mets are pulling a New York Mets. They've lost three in a row. All they had to do because of the tie-breaking scenario I just talked about, all they had to do, Chris, was win one game against Atlanta. They had Scherzer, DeGrom, and Chris Bassett going. You had to win one game against the Atlanta Braves, and they could not do it. The Atlanta Braves have 100 wins on the season. No one's talking about them. The Atlanta Braves have a better run differential than every team in the league except for the Los Angeles Dodgers. No one's talking about them. The Los An- the, the Atlanta Braves just beat Scherzer, Bassett, and DeGrom. They're 7-3 and three in the last 10, and no one's talking about them. Look, I think Atlanta not only wins this division, and I, I called this a while ago, but the Mets are absolutely reeling. Give me your thoughts. I mean, right now, Mets-St. Louis first-round matchup? I, I kind of like St. Louis. I mean, I think the Mets are just pulling the classic New York Mets. Well, how about that? I mean, it's it's uh, it's never good, right, when you're 4-6 and six in your last dead, when you're coming down the stretch and you're the New York Mets trying to battle for not only division, but also, I mean, look, they're, gonna, they're solidified basically as the number one wild card. But uh, obviously a monstrous difference between winning the the National League East and being the number one wild card as far as, you know, the whole playoff scenario that sets it up. And by the way, too, right, Tommy? Did the Mets have – they had leads, especially in the last two games, I know. They had leads in these games and then ended up not uh, being able to pull through and win uh, on both Saturday and Sunday at least. So uh, not, a, not a good way to cap off the end of the season here if you're the New York Mets. But uh, I'm it, it just – it. Look, here's the deal. It just shapes up to be all kinds of interesting across the board when it comes to the playoff scenarios right now. Because uh, you know, of course, you're looking at you're looking at the at the uh, Rays, Mariners, and Toronto in the American League from a from wild card standpoint, and and a Mets, uh, Padres, and Philadelphia uh, as far as that's concerned. And then uh, you know, as you pointed out, you talked about the likes of St. Louis. You talked about the Braves. You talked about the Dodgers you know, sitting with 110 wins. And then in the American League, obviously, the you know, the Yankees are going to hold on, even though there was con- some concern over the last month or so regarding what uh, if they're going to be able to solidify their standing there. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, the likes of the Guardians and uh, the Houston Astros as well, too. So, I mean, just all kinds of intriguing matchups across the board and just hated rivalries once the playoffs come around. Just so much spitefulness, so much heated – uh, animosity is a word I'm going to use regarding some of these teams that are about to match up come Major League Baseball playoff time. And we all love it once October rolls around and you start to see everything kind of shape up the way that it is with respect to Major League Baseball in both the National and American League. Yeah, I'm one of those guys that I'm looking at uh, the New York Yankees and I'm saying, OK, they, they started getting healthy. Um, you know, thing, things are looking OK, but it's it's Yankees, Astros. Dodgers and kind of Atlanta out in front, but the Blue Jays are a dangerous team. They are still young. They still have hitting and they got some good frontline starters. Tampa Bay, you can never write them off. I keep doubting Cleveland. I doubted Cleveland since the preseason. Everybody's doubted Cleveland. What Cleveland does have though, they have an ace. Cleveland has a big time MVP candidate in any other year that Aaron Judge is not doing this. 
Um, they have a good closer. They have a good eight, nine. And then you get the Seattle Mariners have all the momentum and an ace over on the other side. Look, the Mets have the pitching. Philadelphia certainly does as well. When you get Wheeler and Nola going right, one, two, and you got Harper, the reigning MVP in the National League, they have to be a threat. St. Louis always seems to win. I don't know how, I don't know why, but they always seem to win. San Diego has all the potential in the world. They just cannot ever put it together. And then, of course, you have the big boys. My take has not changed here, Chris, and, and this is how I'll, I'll end the show here with about three minutes to go. Uh, my take has not changed. Before the season, I thought that the Los Angeles Dodgers were going to be a very, very, very good team, but I thought somebody would knock them off along the way. Somebody with superior pitching that would be healthy would knock them off along the way. Do I think it's San Diego? Probably not. Do I think it's St. Louis? Probably not. Could it be Philly? Yeah, maybe. Atlanta looks like kind of the thorn in their side again with the Mets faltering the way they are. In the American League, I know everyone's looking at Houston. To me, if the Yankees could get healthy, and they have been looking pretty good and pretty healthy here, they are the team to beat. Toronto doesn't scare me as a Yankee fan. Tampa Bay does not scare me as a Yankee fan. Cleveland doesn't scare me as a Yankee fan. And Seattle doesn't have the hitting. So although it's not fun to say and it's not this big hoopla to talk about, Major League Baseball, it looks like it's about the chalk to me again. It looks like it's going to be the top teams battling it out. Is it going to be the Yankees or Astros taking on the Dodgers or the Braves? The Braves ascended to the top once again. The cream rose to the top this weekend. And I think that that might be the death knell for the New York Mets. I don't know if they get off the mat after what we just witnessed this last weekend. All right, guys. Tommy, let me throw a quick question at you before the show wraps up. What do you think? Aaron Judge, what does he land on? Four games left including a doubleheader on Tuesday against the Texas Rangers. What do we see as a home run total for the judge? I, I think he gets one more. You know, I thought yep. I thought 62 all along. And here's why. I truly believe the New York Yankees won't play him in both games of the double. If he hits the home run, they're not going to play him in both games of the doubleheader. And if he hits mm-hmm. home run during the doubleheader, uh, they won't play him in the second game. If he hits it in the second game, they won't play him for the last game. So I don't think Aaron Judge has four games left. I think Aaron Judge has... Um, probably two, maybe three games left. I don't think he has four. So I'm saying he finishes with 62. He gets the one. He gets the monkey off his back. You can see him visibly frustrated up there with all these walks. It's getting ridiculous. I do think he hits one, uh, one more. And it is, you know, it's one of those situations where what's best for the team is that he doesn't play all four games, even though you want to see him get maybe 63 or so. Who cares? Get in the record, sit him down rest him up, and and give him that extra day to kind of just sit down. I know that they, they have a bye, but just give him the day. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Chris Wynn, guys, it is at Christian Wynn over on Twitter. Thank you very much, Chris. Great show. I'll see you next week, potentially in a cabana. I'm trying to get one of those cabanas going on. Uh, potentially in a cabana, but we'll talk to you guys next week. Go check out TomBartonSports.com, guys. TomBartonSports.com. If you sign up today, what I'm going to do is I will give you another week added on so you're going to get five weeks of service if you sign up and tell them tell everybody you heard about me right here on this station i'm going to give you that at tombartonsports.com go check me out at youtube tom barton sports over on youtube and sports garden network want to bet weekend edition wagering week is the podcast so is believe in betting on the believe podcast network i will be back in town i'll be broadcasting live next week it'll be myself and tim unglesby next saturday night have a very good week las vegas